Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. Morning, Paseo. How you guys doing? It's feeling good? Can we give the Lord a hand before we start? Yeah? And I'm happy to be here. Uh, as Derek uh, mentioned, my name is Danny. I'm uh, the pastor over at Restored Church over off of 5th and L. If you just go down J Street and you make a, a left on 5th, you'll see us right there on the right-hand side. And if you could pray for us, we actually have a huge barbecue going on at J Street Marina right now, starting now. Um, it's like our, our follow-up to the Lemon Festival that just happened on 3rd Avenue, and they're going to be there till uh, 3. It's kind of our way to outreach to the community there today. And then we're actually transitioning. I forgot to mention this. Uh, at the last service, we're transitioning to morning services October 11th at 10.30. And uh, so we're excited about those two, two things today. Um, but it's been kind of a crazy season the last three months of church planning. I mean, just even immediately, so Monique is, uh, this is my wife Monique right here. Um, she, hi babe. Let me say I have a picture um, from our baby shower recently. Monique is eight months uh, pregnant and we have a two-month Two, two months, two, <laughs> two and a half year old, uh, his name is Jackson, um, and we still don't have a name for our baby to come, which is a boy, and so we're taking suggestions. There's a box over there. I'm just kidding. There's not a box, but <laughs> somebody came, I forgot what the suggestion was. Somebody did come at the end of the last service, and I think it was like the man or something. Like, just name him the man. Like, that's his first name. I was like, mm, probably not going to do that, probably. Um, but yeah, like, we ha- it hasn't really hit us. As we're anticipating this next, uh, next boy, um, we know that there's going to there's gonna be a lot of uh, hardship there, like harder logistically, financially, and even just physically. We're saying goodbye to long periods of, t- of, of sleep for a while. We know that. Um, but we also are anticipating the joy and the blessing and the happiness that comes with a kid. Uh, and we're getting a small uh, preview of that with Jackson since uh, over the last two years. Um, this, this story uh, actually captures his personality a couple of weeks ago, we had some really good friends come over, and uh, we were catching up three hours long. You know, you know those friends that you just feel like you haven't caught up in a while, and it just feels like no time has passed? Three hours are going by, but Jackson was not having it. He was ready for the nap. You know what I'm talking about? He's like flipping out. So we're like, all right, time for bed. Let's put you in your big boy bed. And we left the door open just a little bit like he likes. And uh, as we're catching up uh, during this coffee thing, uh, somebody makes a joke. And we, like, have an uproar of laughter, like, ha, ha, ha. And then all of a sudden, I hear to my right, because that's where his bedroom is, he's like, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, what? He's, like, walking out of his room, and he's like, what I miss, Daddy? What I miss? What you, what you doing? What you doing? Something funny? Something funny? I'm like, get in your room, right? We think Jackson has a condition called FOMO. It's really serious. FOMO is fear of missing out. That's all. It's like constantly fearing that he's missing something some party, some good time, um, but he's so full of life. He's kind of, uh, reminds me of that old school cartoon. Do you remember that Tasmanian devil? That's my son. He's a tornado. Um, but God has given us a small preview of what we think this next child is going to be like. Just like over the last three months, like Derek was mentioning, we started our evening services in April. And these last three months have been a small preview of uh, the baby we had. The baby was called Restored Church South Bay. This the baby church. And um, it's been really exciting. It's been fun, but it's been crazy kind of fun. Um, we've been talking with you guys for the last year about church planning. 
And honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, on to, uh, from behalf of our staff and our leaders and our volunteers and the families that are at Restored Church, I just want to say thank you, Paseo. Just thank you for your prayers and for believing in us. Um, I don't know if you remember this a year ago, but I, w- I was saying when we started, I actually um, asked the church, would they help us and partner, us, partner with us? And they were in San Diego, and they actually told me that, no, you probably should leave San Diego, like, if you want to start a church, because we want all of the churches we plant to be our church. Like, it was about our label. And Paseo, you guys have been so open-handed with your resources, with your people, with your encour- encouragements, even physically, even showing up whenever we have things. I've seen some of your faces just to support us, and we feel incredibly loved. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to build a family out of nothing, a family out of nothing but God's grace and his vision. Thank you for giving a chance to build gospel-driven leaders. We're really strong in, in leadership development, but most importantly, you've given us a strong start in making disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. That's all you guys were concerned about. That's all we were concerned about. And um, because of you and your faithfulness, because of God, we've seen the young and the old come to the Lord for the first time. We've seen nine-year-olds and 22-year-olds be baptized. We've seen families that were on the brink of divorce decide, why don't we go ahead and put this gospel at the center of our marriage and reconcile? We've seen people put together their financial resources, even if when they had little, for those families that were in need because of the gospel. And we've seen a ton of people that have been burned by church give Jesus another chance because of the gospel and not because we're cool, relevant, because we have awesome flyers or events. I know it's not because of my preaching, for sure. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> Just like, it's all simply because Jesus loves his bride, the church. Because Jesus loves San Diego. He loves uh, this world way more than we ever could. And um, despite the little things that often get under our skins, for those of you that are planners, are, any, are anybody love, love systems, love planning, love scheduling, like to predict things instead of like go with the flow? That's me. But God's really been stretching my heart when it comes to church planning. Despite the AC not working, video or sound equipment not working, despite the fact that Restored Church's staff is completely broken, inconsistent, and imperfect, and so are our volunteers, we've seen Jesus do tremendous work using normal people like us, like all of us. Isn't it amazing? I was just talking to somebody in the last service. A perfect God, perfect, flawless, uses imperfect people like you and me to represent him. I mean, God could use the best of the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, to change the world. But he doesn't. In the Bible, over and over again, we see that he uses, actually, the polar opposite often. We see that he uses normal, everyday, blue-collar, hard-working people like fishermen, one of which was named Peter, a hot-headed hypocrite. He uses the hated and rejected like Matthew, a tax collector, who robbed from his own people so he can make a profit. He even used a murderer named Paul to write the majority of the New Testament. And then now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he uses imperfect people like you and me, like I said, to be commissioned out into the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to change it from within, to, make, to go and make more disciples. That's why we started this church. That's why you started this church. That's why we are the church, is to make more disciples. God's plan A, guys, God's plan A, to redeem this broken world is us, is the church. There's no plan B. It really is us. But there's a problem, if we're being honest. I think 
Often we, the bride, we can often forget and be not affected by the good news. And if we're not affected by the good news, how are we going to affect the world with it? Oftentimes we forget what makes the good news good in the first place. I remember asking some of our first comers to our church, like, people that said they were Christian, and I just asked a simple question. Like, oh, awesome. How long have you been following the Lord? It'd be numbers of years. Um, so what's, why is the good news good to you? Like, what makes it good? You could see, like, uh, no, it's not a trick question. I'm just wondering, like, what, what makes the good news so good? Because I'm trying to figure this out, like, when, as we communicate. And then what I've discovered is that often Christians, you and I, we can often forget what makes the good news so good in the first place that we're not even affected by it anymore. And when that happens, we can't affect the world with it. We're not influenced by the good news. We can't influence the world anymore. People tend to forget what makes it good. And I see this in my own community, and I see this in my own heart. You know when I see that happen right here? is when I'm inundated with bills, or I have relationship conflict at work, or in, at the marketplace, somebody, somebody stole my parking spot. Like, as was, this happened before. I remember, you know how you wait at the parking, you turn your signal? What does that indicate? I'm waiting for that, right? I remember actually getting somebody, the person leaving the parking spot goes towards me, so I have to wait, and another car just swooped in. And I was like, oh my gosh, can I pause, pause, press pause on being Christian right now? Can I, like, I can't, I can't. And I'm like, hello, hello, I was waiting, I was waiting. And they just did that whole thing, like, eh, and walked away. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could key this car if I wasn't a believer. <laughs> but I remember being so steamed. But things like that, like in those moments, do I preach the good news? I've been, God, you've been good to me. I need to be good to this person. Or am I just reveling with anger and frustration how I just got shortchanged? All we have to do is look at our circumstances, our conflicts, our bills, our to-do lists. Add a toddler into that, that mix. And we can forget the good news in a, in a heartbeat. See, what ultimately happens often, we look at the stresses, anxieties, frustrations of everyday life, and the good news can often just be forgotten real fast. And when we are distracted by the bad stuff, we can forget about the good news. And when we get to that place, this is what Paul talks about being spiritually immature. Like when we forget the gospel, we're not going to grow. And I thought that was interesting because I really thought about that. Like how, we're going to dive into Peter, Peter's uh, second letter here. But I don't know if you've ever thought this, where you're thinking, man, I feel so disconnected in my walk with Jesus. I feel numb even. I just feel like I'm not growing. Or you have somebody else who claims they're Christian, and you look at their life, and you're like, well, they're, they're not really growing. Like, what's going on? Where's the fruit? Why are they so stagnant? In either one of those cases, Paul ad- actually addresses spiritual immaturity and spiritual maturity. He actually addresses why we're not thriving in our walks. And so I actually think it's really interesting, before I read it, that it was Peter who wrote what spiritual immaturity and maturity looks like. Think about that. Peter. The only disciple to rebuke the creator of the universe. Peter, the disciple who was actually called Satan by Jesus himself when he did that. Peter, who denied one of his best friends of three years, a person he spent every day and night with. When Jesus needed him the most, he said, I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. 
Jesus, by the grace of God and to the glory of God, uses Peter to show us what spiritual maturity looks like because he knows what spiritual immaturity looks like. And I think when we read this, I want you to keep it in mind. So we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 1225, I believe. As you're going there, I'll go ahead and pray for us. Father God, I just ask that you'd bless our time in the word. Jesus, I can feel you breathing down my neck as a, as a metaphor of just being a, held accountable. And I welcome that accountability because I don't want anything to be spoken about here today that is not from you. And if it's from me, let it fall to the ground. But if it's from you, let it stick in our hearts and imprint us, allowing us to be different men and women than we walk through those doors as. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. According to the Bible, according to Peter here, he says, making every effort to grow in your faith is contingent on you remembering that you've been cleansed from your sin. Growing in your faith is contingent in you remembering the gospel. I know that's going to sound super simple, but I'm going to unpack that even more. But Paul even reiterates the same point. I'm going to read this to you in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul is saying, you know how you received Jesus in the first place when you got saved? That same time, I need you to walk in Jesus. Not just get saved and move on, but you... Stay and receive Jesus. You walk in Jesus. You're rooted in him. Grow deeper in understanding him like a big building and foundations underground. It's not just the ABCs of Christianity. He's saying it's the A to Z of Christianity. comes back to Jesus. And I remember the first time that clicked in my head. I was talking to a senior pastor of mine. um, And he said, hey, Danny, um, how do you get saved? I'm like, is this a trick question? We're ready no, what, what do you mean? Like, well, how do you get saved? What do you say? I'm like, well, it's by having faith in Jesus through grace or by grace, right? Right? He's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, how, how do you grow? How do you grow in your faith? And I said immediately, without hesitation, I go, well, uh, you read your Bible regularly, you pray regularly, you have Bible study. Uh, I think it's important that you get involved in community service or like having, serving the community because there's something about putting your faith in action that you're learning about the gospel. And the whole time, you're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm totally failing in my, in my head. I'm thinking, he's thinking, was that a bad answer? So, Danny, you, do you hear what you just said? You just said, in order to be saved, it's by grace, but in order to grow, it's by your effort. He's like, he basically said, Danny, in order for you to get saved, it's by grace. In order for you to grow, it's by grace. You can read the Bible every day. You can pray every day. You can do service all the time. Your, your head will get puffed up with knowledge, but you, you don't have the power in yourself to actually love Jesus more, to be transformed by the gospel more. I'm actually looking at my son at two and a half, 
when we pray for him, and I think about him growing up in this most confusing world as it gets worse and worse, just looking at the news. And I, I want to make him love Jesus. I want to make him trust him. I want to make him know the gospel. But I can't. I don't have that power. It's by grace that he's going to come to know Jesus. It's going to be by grace that he's going to grow in Jesus. See, as we grow, I like how Paul says, you're going to abound in thanksgiving. Paul says that because, I don't know if you realize this, as you learn through Paul's letters, when Paul was growing in his faith, as he was growing in his faith, he actually started to see himself a lot more clearly. He started in his first letter saying, I'm a pretty, I, I, I could be a better Christian, is how he kind of worded it. I'm paraphrasing. He's like, eh, yeah, I'm, I follow Jesus, but I could be better. And then he goes, I'm actually the worst of all the apostles, but at least I'm an apostle. And then he's like, actually, I'm actually the worst of all sinners. This is in, as he's maturing in his faith. I'm kind of the worst of all believers. I'm the worst of all apostles. I'm the worst of all sinners. See, as he started to grow in his walk with Jesus, he actually started to see his own sin a lot more clearly. But he didn't just stay in his devastation and brokenness. As he saw himself a lot more clearly in his sin, he saw the cross more clearly because he saw how much God loved him anyways. It's like, man, I'm the worst of all sinners, but God decided to choose me despite myself. And so the cross got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as he walked with Jesus. See, we abound in our gratitude and love for Jesus as we see how sinful we are and how much we need the cross. See, God has been proving how much he's been loving us through the beginning of time. If you look through the whole Bible, he's been kind of chasing after his people over and over and over again. He's sending kings, bringing him back. He's sending champions called judges or warriors to win his people back. He's sending prophets, please come back to me. And ultimately, he then, he sends his own son to show the world how much he loves them. See, as we see and remember that God saved us through his son Jesus, because we couldn't save ourselves, we're called to respond out of that kind of love. And yet, guys, you know what's kind of, um, I don't know if it's frustrating or scary. I see churches all the time, some on TV, some not, even just, I don't know, some churches are, are preaching through series or things of these self-help kind of advice kind of series or sermons where they're teaching their people to save themselves. They're giving 10 steps to a better marriage. Here's seven ways to be more financially responsible. Here's five ways to be a better parent. Here's six ways to a better life now. All of which is without even mentioning, maybe it's just a mention at most, who Jesus is, and what he has to do with any of those steps. Because if we're not mentioning Jesus or the gospel amongst those steps, all we are is just the cover of Cosmo or Vanity Fair. I saw that at the grocery store yesterday. I was looking at the magazines and off the covers of these magazines. Here's uh, eight ways to a stronger sex life, ten ways to a more satisfying marriage. If we're not going to talk about the gospel and we're not going to talk about Jesus and we give people seven ways, habits, or steps without mentioning who he is, we're just the same as those magazines. Because here's the truth, guys. I mean, those seven ways, better parenting, financial stewardship, healthier marriage, those are good. I don't want to say throw those out. Those are bad. Those are not necessarily evil. 
except when you're saying, hey, it's within you. It's all about you and your effort, your power. Try harder, do bigger, instead of relying on the power and wisdom and authority of Jesus. Does that make sense? See, because what, what happens when you go through the seven steps or the seven habits or the seven ways and your spouse still hates you? What are you going to do? What if you go through those steps and habits and ways and your kids still won't listen to you? Or you're still lonely or you're still unhealthy or you're still insecure or you're still afraid? What do you do then? See, those things leave you empty and exhausted and frustrated unless you have Jesus and his power, his authority, his strength. Because only he can change us. He can alone save us. And you know what he's saving us? Not only from the penalty of our sin, which is hell, right? But we forget that Jesus gives us the power. I mean, it gives us, saves us from the power of sin. More and more as we follow Jesus, the power of sin in our lives starts to decrease through the Holy Spirit by his grace. See, in verse 8, Peter actually says we become ineffective and unproductive unless we remember the gospel. In verse 9, he says this, But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. We've become nearsighted and blind, and I want you to see what that means. Put your hand in front of your eyes like this and look at your palm, right? When you're looking at your palm, everything behind you becomes blurry. I'm, I'm actually nearsighted. When I don't have my glasses, all I can see is what, what's in front of me. He's saying, when you forget that you've been cleansed from your sin, when you forget what Jesus has done, when you forget how much God loves you, all you're doing is looking at the circumstances of your life and you're just forgetting the entire big picture of what God has done. You look at your bills and your frustrations and your conflicts and your stresses and your anxieties. And you, when you put it farther, and not just farther as an arm reach, but you look farther all the way back to Calvary, and you look at the cross, you see the big picture of God's sovereignty, authority, and power over everything. And we don't get stuck in just looking at what's going wrong in our lives or what could be better in our lives. But you see it's going to be better forever because of what he did on the cross. See, if you just look at the stories in the Bible, imagine being in a boat and you're stuck in the biggest raging storm of your life. You think you're going to die. It's easy to forget that God is sovereign. When you've been sick and cancerous and bleeding for 12 years like that woman, it's, it's easy to think that God is still sovereign. When you look at the woman that's been caught in public sexual sin, she's about to be stoned for making mistakes. It's easy for you to possibly forget that God is completely in control. Or when you've been convicted of crimes you didn't commit and you're about to be hung on a cross, you could lose hope and think that God is in control. But Jesus still proves, even in that moment, he trusted God in his power and authority and sovereignty and proved that he was powerful and had authority over all things. See, when I say remember the gospel, these are the, the three major facets that I tell people. Jesus lived the perfect life we never could. A life that was without slander or thinking bad about people or cussing or seeing rated R movies or giving in to temptation. He lived a perfect life we never could. And then he died a death that we deserved. And then because of that, when we put our trust in Jesus, he trades places with us. We get his perfect straight A report card. We were indebted to God and now we're debt-free because of what Jesus did on the cross. And now, the third thing, now... 
we get to live a life full of re- of, that's reconciled back to the Father, a life redeemed by the Son, and a life that is going to be fully restored by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did. But I remember sharing those three points, and this girl in college says, yeah, that sounds great, Danny, but I honestly believe that you just use Jesus as a crutch because you're too weak to handle the hardships of this life on your own strength. Jesus is just something you lean on. Because if you're actually strong enough to handle life, you probably wouldn't need God. I'm like, well, yeah, I'll agree with that. I use Jesus as a crutch, but you know what? I'll, I'll even go further. It's actually worse than that. I don't just use Jesus as a crutch. Actually, I was completely spiritually paralyzed. I could not walk on my own. I was sitting on the ground, helpless, and no, nothing could be done. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you your legs back so you can walk with me. It's going to be by my own power and my own strength. So yeah, sure, Jesus is a crutch, but he actually helped me walk again. See, as a result of God doing what he did out of complete, ultimate, sacrificial love for us, we get to live a life of complete, sacrificial love for other people. When we remember the gospel, why the news is so good, we get to live a life that reflects that kind of love to other people. Let me read Second Peter chapter 1 again. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. We can actually read Peter and see something else than just a list. This, let me warn you, I hope you didn't read these verses and just saw, oh man, here's another, another checklist of how to be a better Christian. I gotta be good and I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be knowledgeable, I'm going to be self-controlled and persevering, godly, mutual, affectionate, and loving. Man, all right, I'm going to try harder to be those things. How about this? Let's flip it. When you look at that, that, those list of virtues, instead of seeing a list of things you have to be, see that list of the things that Jesus already was towards you. And a list of things that Jesus already has been for you. See, Jesus was perfect in his faithfulness and his goodness and his knowledge. Jesus was perfect in his self-control and his perseverance and his godliness. Jesus was perfect in his love and his affection for his sheep. And remember, we exchange. Because Jesus was perfect in these things, we now have that perfect record in that. And because of that, we get to live a life where we strive, we make every effort in these things. We still have to do work. That's unfortunate. Yes. You can't just sit back, and I've, I've tried to do this in my car in traffic. Please give me more patience. Please give me more patience. <laughs> like it's a magic wand, and God's just going to hit you with it. Or it's like a power-up. <laughs> like I wish. We actually have to do work here. We have to make every effort. It means to strive, to work, to be careful, to be these things. But you, put, you make every effort into what? Is it into, again, trying harder or be bigger or do more? Remember? It was remembering the gospel. Remembering that you've been cleansed from your sin. Remembering how much God loves you. Even when we make mistakes. Even when we have accidents. I don't know if I mentioned this in the beginning, but um, Jackson is potty training all week. And we've, Monique, well, I'm not going to say we, but Monique had to stay with him like for four days straight at home, in his underwear. And uh, two things happened during this week. Before we started potty training, we decided, why don't we go ahead and see a movie? We haven't seen a movie in a while. Mission Impossible just came out. 
and we were trying to figure out who's going to watch Jackson, my parents or, or hers. Neither one really could, and I didn't want to impose because they watched him a lot. So Monique was like, why don't we just take him? I'm like, oh, no, 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 not doing it, not bringing this toddler to the movies because he's, he's so crazy, and he's so social. He's not going to want to sit there. And I, it was really stressing me out. I finally gave in. We went to Plaza Ben— is it Plaza Benita? Went to Plaza Ben— oh, Palm Promenade. And it was still packed, still a lot of people. And we're sitting at, near the exit because I'm ready. I'm like, if this doesn't go— I'm, I'm leave, we're leaving, we're leaving. Lo and behold, we're, wa- we're sitting in these theaters, and Jackson, probably half an hour to an hour in. This is a two-hour movie. He's like, Daddy, can I have a popsicle? And this is like whisper yelling, you know, where he's yelling, but he's whispering. I'm like, nobody, like, we'll wait, we'll get a popsicle after the movie's over. Okay. Is the movie over? Like, I'm like, oh. And then he'd walk around doing, like, meeting other people. It's like, and we're, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try my best. And Mo was cool as a cucumber, just eating her popcorn, watching Tom Cruise. Cool. The whole time, I'm getting hot. You know, like, you're getting stressed but you're trying to be controlled and not be that, like, frantic guy. I was completely internally frantic, and I'm, I'm feeling this guy stare at me. Like, the, whoever this guy was, he's like, <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm sorry, man, like, he's trying his best, and he's just, whatever. Finally, Jackson walks up to this guy. I don't know if you saw this, but he walks up to the guy, and he's, like, trying to get his Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> and the guy's like, no. And I grab uh, Jackson's arm, but I try to do it firmly cause, so he won't get away from me. And of course, of course, Jackson has to be completely dramatic as I'm growing. He's like, ah! I'm like, get over here. Sit down. And then he's, and he pulls away. His arm is like, daddy's being mean, mommy. Like, and so I hear the people in the back, aww. <laughs> and now I'm like, now they're judging me for being a bad dad. I'm stressed. It's like Mission Impossible in real life is what I felt like. Fast forward potty training. And Monique, I come back from work, and Monique's like, he had like seven accidents today. He peed in his bed, and his, he peed on the floor a couple times in his underwear. And then he did it again while I was there, and I saw, like I saw his reaction to him peeing on the floor, and he's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, mommy. And Monique went up to him and was like, it's okay. It's okay, baby. We'll try again next time, and we'll try again tomorrow. You're going to do better instantly holy spirit convicted me because i saw two pictures i'm here in a movie theater frustrated at my son caring about what other people think about me more than i am about loving my son or where he's at i kept wishing that he was a lot more further along in his maturity to understand how movies work don't you understand how movies work you sit and you watch a two-year-old i'm expecting that (laughs) i'm the (laughs) stupid stupid but I'm frustrated because I want him to be further along in his understanding. And I'm getting mad at him, and I'm pulling him aside and jerking his arms, whatever. And then I see a picture of how, the, of how God it is to us, where we make these potty mistakes, where we yelled at our wife, we yelled at our kids, we slandered a coworker, we mis, misstewarded our resources, we make these pee-pee mistakes, and God's like, this is the reason why my son died. I died for those accidents. I died for the mistake. So we're going to, it's going to be better. You're going to be better. You're going to, this will be better next time. It'll be better tomorrow. So you don't have to, because if Monique did the other way and yelled at Jackson when he made accidents or made mistakes, he's just going to learn to hide in the corner and pee over there or do whatever. 
because he's going to be so overwhelmed with his shame and guilt. Don't we do that? Sometimes when we make mistakes or we have these accidents, we hear the accuser. We have a real enemy, by the way, named the, the devil. And he knows exactly what to say to us to make us feel shame and guilt so we go hide and isolate in the corner. But as much as there's a real enemy, there's a real victory. Just know that Jesus still says, I died for those mistakes. I died for those accidents. You don't have to hide in fear and shame. You're going to do better. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to train you, and you're going to be better along. Monique was able to love Jackson where he was at, and Jesus loves us exactly where we're at. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want to keep us there. He loves us so much that he's going to continually discipline and train us as his kids. But it starts with remembering that we've been cleansed of our sin. It starts with remembering the gospel. We can be kind to each other because God has been so kind to us. We can forgive each other because God has forgiven us. We can be generous with other people because Jesus left perfection of heaven to become nothing so that we could have everything. So we're generous in return. So as the worship team comes back, we're going to go into a song called This I Believe. It's paraphrase the, the creed. We're going to remember the gospel by singing in, in the form of worship and song what it is that we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. Amen? So as they, as they go in, would you guys stand with me and I'll pray and then we'll, uh, we'll worship Jesus together. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for being such a good dad, for being so patient with us, for so loving towards us, despite our accidents and mistakes. You sent your son to die for those things. And now, as a result of what's happened on the cross, we've been cleansed of our sin. For those of us that put our faith in Jesus, you don't see Danny or Monique or Derek or John or Matt. You see Jesus instead. And there was nothing we could do to make that happen. It was all by your grace. And so, Lord, empower us by that same grace to make every effort to reflect that kind of God, that kind of dad, that kind of love to the people around us. We love you so much, Jesus. But we thank you for loving us way more than we'll ever understand. And so we worship you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.